says Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 17, and it opens with John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. How many of y'all love change? Raise your hand if you love change. There are some. There are some. Yeah, you're, you're a minority. How many of you don't really like change? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do anything for you. That's me. How many of you are like, ah, whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I found I was going back through my, um, I keep a journal and, and, uh, journal periodically, often, whatever. I, I was going back through and, and, um, it was a, time where we had just moved into the building we left a few months ago to the, that big old gym. If you haven't been there, it was just an old 1920s gymnasium with basketball hoops on the walls and pretty stark. And what I wrote in there was what a sense of loss we were feeling as we went in there. It was exciting, but many of you had written me notes or emails of how much you missed the, um, the, the sort of intimate place we had just left. Intimate's another word for small. Um, if you want to sculpt it right, you said call it intimate. And uh, we had been at the back end of a Mexican restaurant in Haymarket where there was a small space. There's still a church wedged in there, and it was small, intimate. But there was a sense of seeing and knowing everyone and just the way that room was set up, and there was a lot of sense of loss in that. And I don't know in coming, we've been here for two months and, and the CCA family, Amanda and Lori and all have been amazing to provide for us. And yet, some days I walk in and I still feel a little sense of loss of this old crummy 1920s gym. I don't know what it is about change. It was a wonderful space. It was God's space for us. But if any of you are feeling at all a sense of loss, and, and, I, and I don't mean that the space, the space is tons nicer in so many ways, but there was something nice about sort of having everybody in one room and having the, having to dodge the kids, you know, balls as they were throwing balls after the service saying, no, you can't shoot baskets. There was something sweet and something. And so, um, we are, you know, we've talked about what we, we want to try to facilitate as much as possible. We know buildings aren't the kingdom, right? They aren't. Our new building won't be the kingdom. But what happens is we built over time, we saw people come to Christ. And when you leave that, sometimes it's just like moving out of a house. You leave behind something. And so we, we are wanting to see and pray 
that the Spirit of God does things here, both through CCA, through Living Hope, that when we move to our new building, we, we have a sense of loss in the sense of we remember what the Lord has done. And we don't cling too tightly to where we're going. And we don't lament the time behind as it the good old days. There aren't any good old days. Right. As, as uh, they, they, she sang so beautifully, these are the good old days. Right. For those of you of a certain age, you'll know the yeah. reference. If the Lord God is moving now, these are the days we rejoice in and we cherish. And so I believe God's moving now that he called us. And so if I drive and think, oh, well, it was nicer this or nicer that I remind myself that my pursuit is of God, not of the things that are passing away. That leads us to Matthew 3. If you've got your Bible, would you open to the, uh, the Scripture that uh, Kevin read this morning? This was a weird week. Um, I was, we were having Chuck Rice's memorial this week, and I was dealing with that, and uh, Beth Klima's next week, and, and other things going on, and I read the Scripture over and over and over again. And every time I read this, I felt like I understood it less than the time before. That is not typical, people. I, I usually am, am, am reading and feeling like I'm gaining understanding. It was weird. I felt like I don't really know why Jesus was baptized. I do. I know the theology of it. But like, Lord, what, is, what really means, what, what does this mean for us? What do we do with this? We know it happened. We know that this was important. I can say some sort of doctrinal things, and I will, about, about the importance of Jesus being baptized. But what what is this saying to us? And so I came to think, I'm going to offer you a few thoughts, and I offer this with less certainty than sometimes I do. Some of the things I'm going to say, I'm going to present to you as they talk about in the book of Acts, Bereans. Please read and consider this, uh, what I'm going to say here, and study it for yourself and consider if these things be true or not. It was, uh, oh gosh, what was it, Nance? Six, eight years ago, we were in, um, in Israel. And, um, you bring up, we were in the Jordan River, not exactly where Jesus was, but, so there's John the Baptist. We have a real picture of trying to bury people. It kind of looks like she's shrouded and, um, and, and, you know, they do this, they let people come and, and dip in. It's, it may not be your baptism, you have already been baptized, but they let you kind of experience the Jordan and what it was. And so, you know, repentant sinners are on the, you can sort of see, it's a, we're a little north of where John probably was, so it's a little greener up by the Galilee than it is down in Judea where, where John was baptizing. But it's it's not that incredible a river. It's not amazing in terms of, like, beauty. Uh, it's just a river. Right. And then um, you can bring up the next one because you, know, you have all sorts of repentant sinners <laughs> who are convicted, you know, of their sin and coming and wanting to be, um, you know, be baptized. So that's, uh, you know, that's that's what happens. Right. Happened then happens now. Um, this baptism we spoke of last week was a was a baptism of repentance. And it's not exactly the same as salvation. Because we don't really prepare ourselves for our salvation. You could read this and think, well, gee, I need to go and be baptized to get ready for Jesus. Well, baptism, as we understand it, is once you, it's a, it's a confirmation and a seal of when Jesus has come into your life. You go under as a sign of that. So it's, it's a slightly different, but for John, 
who's a man of the wilderness. We spoke of last week, a man of the desert. Here he comes to call Israel to be true Israel. What I mean, what do I mean by that? Being Israel, being Jewish, right, was a, uh, a birth thing, right? You were Jewish because you were born into that. And you were, if you were male, you were circumcised. And you, if, but, but that didn't necessarily make you someone who was following God. Goodness knows the scripture is littered with people who are Jewish by birth, but rejected the things of the Lord, right? So John is calling people to truly be what God wanted them to be, his people. And from his understanding, it was walk in the ways of the Lord. Walk in the ways of the Lord and get ready because John knew that he was the precursor to the Messiah, to the Christ, to someone coming who was going to be greater. Now, though John and Jesus were cousins, the, the Gospel of John tells us they hadn't met. You can look at that in John, the Gospel of John, that they, they probably knew of each other through their mothers, but, but th- they weren't familiar with one another, and yet... When he comes on the scene, we know that John recognizes, by God's power and spirit, he recognizes Jesus as this person and as this individual. So this baptism that John is throwing out there is for repentance. It's a place where you confess your sins. It's a place where you get rid of the blockades in your life to God coming. Those are all good things to do, right? But they're for the people of God. People were coming out from Jerusalem and Judea to see this because there was like a revival happening here. One thing I don't don't know if you think about or not, but you know, John had disciples. We know Jesus had disciples, but the scripture talks about John's disciples. He was really popular, arguably, maybe unarguably. He was more popular than Jesus at the height of John's ministry. He was more well-known, certainly the beginning. Jesus hadn't been on the scene yet. John was well-known. We know from Acts chapter 19 that there are still disciples of John wandering around who really don't know much about the things of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but they know about John. So he was incredibly influential. So much so he got the attention, right, of the kings, beheaded. So John is is the man at the time. He's, you know, a rock star in terms of that world. There were disciples around him. So I think sometimes we think about John just being like, there's Jesus, I'm fading away now. Well, John was John was there. I mean, he was he was a big gun. So if you read with me, please, as we look at this, I'm going to pick up at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Hold on to that phrase. We'll come back to it. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't know, I don't know how much John understood about what he was saying there, if that was something God's Spirit was saying. You know, for, for us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has become sort of a demarcation line in, in current Christianity, where you've got, uh, the, 
the Holy Spirit being sort of the things of the charismatic world, the Pentecostal world, and then people the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we sort of, for those of you who are familiar with such things, you've heard about or people talk about the doctrine of that. Well, let's just set that aside for just a minute. Just smack at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He says, the one who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let's just set aside our doctrinal swords for just a minute. How many of you want to be a part of that? I do. I would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire if that's what Jesus wants for me. Now, baptizing with fire, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, fire, you know, don't play with fire, you're told. It says in the verses following, it says his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't think you want to be chaff, right? So you know what that is, right? The winnowing fork, you think about the old, you know, like an old uh, PBS special or something about life on the prairie. And they're throwing the wheat up in the air, and the heavy stuff comes back down, and the chaff, the part that's insubstantial, inconsequential, kind of floats away in the wind, or in this case, there's fire, and, and so they burn the stuff up. And so a couple of things that he says, this guy who's coming after me is going to do. He's going to somehow, where you go under the water and you're completely immersed in water as a sign of repentance, of turning to God fully. Somehow this Messiah is going to fully immerse you in his spirit. And he's going to separate out the one, either the individuals who are not with God, the, 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 he calls out, we saw last week, the Pharisees and says, look, you're coming for all the wrong reasons. You just, you know, you're not going to make it. You're, you're, you're not, your heart isn't right. And so he's, he's winnowing. He's, he's taking the winnowing fork and he's, he's separating out. And so maybe that baptism with fire is for purification, but maybe it's also just a burning up of those for, for whom faith is just a, a, an outward thing, but there's nothing substantial. But John is calling out and saying, I'm preparing the way, but this Messiah who's coming after me, this Christ who's coming after me, is going to do something substantially different. And what we know is on the day of Pentecost, this baptism of the Holy Spirit comes and starts the church and completely revolutionizes them. And we'll pick back up on that theme of the Holy Spirit a little bit more into it. But I just want us to be open Rather than thinking doctrinally, my thought is the posture is from Ephesians 5, which is, would you just keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit? That, you know, if, if we just say, if we're willing to say, Holy Spirit, would you do whatever you want with me? Give me any gift you want. Would you change me? Would you do whatever? I think we're on pretty safe ground to say, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? So John is prepping them that this is what's coming. And then, in verse 13, the man shows up. The man himself. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And this is where I kept thinking all week. So, okay, so why? Now, the doctrinal thing you'll hear is that Jesus is identifying with us. His baptism, so... He was doing what 
that John was calling every Jew to do that wanted to walk righteously, to be baptized, to get ready for Messiah. Then Messiah shows up, and you think, this is what I was, I was thinking, so why is he getting baptized? He said, okay, y'all are ready? Y'all have been in the water, getting ready for me? I'm here. Let's go. Let's do the things. But no, he walks in the water, and John, by God's Spirit, I guess, recognizing him, John would have prevented him, it says, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? John recognized in him that there was no sin that needed to be confessed. So why? And then Jesus gives this, which I read this thing up hundreds of times, this phrase hundreds of times this week. Let it be so, Jesus answered him. Let it be so now. That is, you baptize me. For thus, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? I don't know. I wish I did exactly. But let me offer you a couple of thoughts. And this is where I'll ask you to consider this. From the Gospel of John, here's what we learn about this. John doesn't, uh, John simply describes what, uh, in the Gospel of John, he describes what John the Baptist was thinking, but he doesn't, um, doesn't give us the narrative itself the way the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us this picture. John, in the Gospel of John, it says this, John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, on Jesus. I myself did not know him. Now, whether that's didn't know him as the Messiah, we can, you know, commentators differ, but in some way, John was not clear. He didn't know who Jesus was, either humanly or as Messiah. But, John says, He who sent me to baptize with water, that's God the Father, sent John, commissioned John to baptize with water, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend, Jesus, and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So this is John's recounting of what he he heard from the Lord. He who sent me to baptize with water. That was the calling that John the Baptist was to do for to, to bring true Israel to repentance. And here the one man in all the earth who didn't need to be baptized enters in and says, no, I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with all those who need to be baptized. And I, like them, am becoming one of them And while sin wasn't forgiven or confessed, here he stands with all the unwashed, being washed, who knows who's in this green river with all the people who were responding. And Jesus finds his home there. He finds his family there among those who are repenting and those who are seeking God. And... As we've been tracing, the, as we've started the book of Matthew, if you've been here at all, you've, you've 
seen for the first couple of weeks, I've hammered on what I think Matthew is trying to get us to see, which is this is a continuation fulfillment of the Old Testament. We've talked about how it continues the story of Abraham, the story of Moses. We talked about Elijah and how John the Baptist is in the spirit of Elijah and the, the uh, David's kingdom. We've talked about how this is a continuation of one story from the Old Testament. And I want to bring you one more character, as it were, from the Old Testament that I think this speaks to. And this is where I want to really um, have you guys look and read and think. Okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm saying this with um, hopefully this is God's spirit. But just I'll, I'll leave it to you. There's a there's someone who is spoken of in the um, prop by the prophet Isaiah, and it's someone called the servant of the Lord. There are four passages in Isaiah, and I'll, I'll give them to you quickly. And then if you need to look at them or you can look them up, it's, it's very well known. The suffering servant or the servant of the Lord. Here are the passages. Isaiah 42, one through nine. Isaiah 49, 1 through 13. Isaiah 50, 4 through 9. And Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. These four passages, and they'll be up here if you want to, didn't get all that and you want to go back. These are called the servant of the Lord passages. And they were prophesied by Isaiah of someone who was coming who would rescue Israel. And the, the Jewish scholars learned that this was, they saw in this the Messiah. And at times it reads like it's the whole nation of Israel. But at times it reads like it's an individual. And the most familiar one to us may be Isaiah 53, uh, a suffering servant passage and um, carries such lines as, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and those kind of lines, um, which which we recognize Jesus fulfilling at his crucifixion. But let me read you two passages from these servant songs, which I think, in addition to baptism being Jesus' identity, I think this is another way Matthew is pointing us to the continuation of who Jesus is. Listen to this. This is from the very first servant song, Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. In the very first verse of these, Isaiah 42, chapter 1, as we introduce to this person who the prophet is identifying, he says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. The line and the word of this spoke to me so much of this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved one, my beloved son, not just a servant, but yes, a servant, but more, in whom I am well pleased. And then again, in a servant song, Isaiah 53, 15, Isaiah 53.15, he says this, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. By his knowledge. We talk here about knowing Jesus. And here he says, 
Let it be so. It's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. The servant of the Lord is going to make many to be accounted righteous. All right. What does that have to do with us? Let's bring it forward now a little bit. I think one of the things in our day, one of the great disconnects, is that people are searching for this sense of unity with God, the sense that how can I be, how can I be right with God? How can I? I just think in all the world, people are just wondering: a) why am I alive? But B, why are things so messed up? Why is nothing working out? Why is it not like it should be? Why are things not right? And Jesus stands aside us in the water and is any human being who would stand beside him and say, I want to fulfill in you this righteousness. What's wrong? I'm coming to set right. And What we're about to see, we're about to open up where Jesus is going to walk the road of humanity. He's about to be tempted in an extreme way by the enemy in the wilderness. He's about to begin to teach that life isn't what you thought it was. And as we open up with the Sermon on the Mount, the first of those five teachings, what he's going to tell you is you are flying upside down. The way this world teaches us what's right, what's wrong, who's strong, who's weak, who's good, who's bad. You got it. You got it wrong. And I'm going to reshape you. But I think as he stands in the water with these people, as the suffering servant, as a servant of the Lord, he's saying, I'm going to bring all things right. I'm going to fulfill righteousness. We're going to pick up on that and see that more. But I, I offer that to you in comparing... This is an introduction. I think Matthew is picking up on this well-known servant of the Lord theme. I won't say this is my idea in particular, but it's not something you're going to read every time you look at um, at commentaries. And I, I, I think it's very much there. Finally, I want us to just look very practically at John the Baptist in this phrase that he used about... Um, about not being worthy to untie the sandals. That's quite a visceral phrase, isn't it? That's a very vivid thing to say. When I was growing up, um, there was a something in the Episcopal Church called the Prayer of Humble Access. And one of the lines in that, which I'll never forget as being a little kid and saying this week after week, is, I am not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. And y'all said that line in Catholic or in Episcopal Church. That's the same idea of I, I, this, this unworthiness disconnect. It, what an what a image for a little child. I'm not worthy to gather up the crumbs. I mean, that's the, low, that's the low job, right? After dinner, who gets to go under the table and gather up the crumbs? You know, now you send your dog, but, but whatever. <laughs> or probably your dog's gluten-free and can't do it. But, <laughs> but here... Here John the Baptist is, and this is why I talked about John the Baptist being the guy. He, he's got a following. He's got disciples. He's got people after him. He's, in, in, in John 3.15, it says, people are talking about is John the Messiah. Do you know that? People are saying, John, are you the Messiah? Are you kind of fooling us here talking about the guy to come? Like, I know, I hear you say that, but you show the power of God. People responding to you. Revival's bursting out here on the shores of, of, are you the Messiah? And then Jesus shows up, and John says, you know, 
why am you know I need to be baptized by you? You're clearly you know the guy. You're the man. You know, Jesus says, "No, you're the man right now. You're still the man. You know, you're the man. No, you're the man." He says when. Let it be so, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. In verse 11, he says, The one who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. This was the job of the lowliest servant. In a household, when you had servants to take off and wash feet, remove the sandals, all that, that was the low man on the totem pole as the jobs went in that culture. And here John takes the posture of one who's got standing and who takes a posture of humility. As I read this over and over again, I I was continually struck by the humility of this guy who was willing to step out, who was willing to go to prison for speaking the truth to the people in authority, ended up costing him his life, but who, when he was in the presence of Jesus, said, I'd rather, I'm, what I deserve is to be not even the lowliest of servants. Jesus said on those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Right? But even in the kingdom of God, even the least. And Jesus, as recorded in the Gospel of John, takes off the feet of his disciples, the shoes of his disciples, and washes their feet. Right? It's remarkable to me that John says, I, I shouldn't even do this for you. He was right. And Jesus said to us, I'm going to take off your shoes. I'm going to be that servant. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to die for you. Can you do this? Can you wash the feet of those who maybe you feel like ah, that's, that's a little too intimate? Some of us put up our hands and put up walls and say, I just can't get that close. It's not that fun. No, it's not. But what you find is where the servants are, that's where the Lord is. Where those who are willing to serve are, Those who lay down their lives know the one who laid down their life for them. If our job in this life and our calling in this life is to know Jesus, we're not going to have that happen unless we're willing to be the kind of people who will feet washers, sandal taker offers. And in your context, that may look like loving somebody who's pretty hard to love. Probably somebody pretty close to you might share your last name. Might be loving your children when they don't give up, you know, about it. It may be loving that person at work or whatever. It may be showing them grace and mercy where it's undeserved. John was willing to do what he was called to do. And when Jesus said, yes, okay, I'll, I'll baptize you. What an, what an awkward, odd thing it must have been for the lesser to baptize the greater. But this was to fulfill all righteousness. 
Would you be willing to bless your Savior, bless your Lord by fulfilling all righteousness, by serving those who He calls you to serve? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for Your life. Lord, I thank You for the amazing grace that You showed. I thank You for John the Baptist, Lord, and his willingness to be humble and to decrease and to not take what he could have rightfully done to read his own press clippings and think he was somebody. But he knew that he was called to prepare the way of the one who comes. Lord, would you help us to prepare the way in people's lives by modeling for them the grace and mercy that would make it possible for them to see the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord. Lord, ultimately You did what we can't do. You died for our sins. Lord, we die with You, but we can't die for anyone's sins, but we can point people to the One who did, to the One who said on the night He was betrayed, when He took bread, broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, take and eat. This is My body. It's broken for You. Do this for the remembrance of Me. And then taking a cup of wine, gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This is My blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of Me. So Lord, we do it now in remembrance of You. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper as we remember His goodness. Um, just you can be dismissed by row the darker wafers are gluten-free and we'll worship the Lord together as we take this meal offered to us by grace. Can I have those who are serving the elements to come forward, please? There will be those available to pray with you right up that ramp in the back after you take communion. Please take the opportunity to be prayed for.